18. I w- I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed this afternoon. Uh, I stood out at the field, and I watched people firing apples at the, at the buses, and Brother TJ's face was gone, and Brother Derek's face was gone. Pastor Justin was getting shot at by his children, and there was no one to shoot at mine. So I think if you go out there, mine may still be in the window, just staring happily like a fool. If you'd like to uh, take out a weapon and shoot it, that'd be fine with me. Not a problem. Okay. Matthew chapter 18. If there's any more apples, you can throw some at the window. That's fine. We're going to look at the first couple of verses here. And uh, for the sake of my outline here, we're going to talk about a little bit as we go through. We won't stand tonight, but we're going to read the first three verses together here. Uh, So if you would follow along with me, the Bible says, Matthew 18, verse 1, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, the disciples here are asking that question, Lord, who will be the greatest? Uh, And they're asking uh, with uh, double meaning in mind. God, will you make me the greatest? Of course, asking to lift themselves up even as they ask the question. Of course, Jesus, you know, you just read it. He sits this child in front of them, tells them that you have to be converted, meaning to repent, to turn from your ways. And we know, of course, that Jesus is referring to salvation. That's that's dead level uh, salvation and and understanding of the the total faith in Christ that must occur. Uh, We cannot get to heaven on our own. We need Christ and his payment, uh, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he had saved us. Um, And so, of course, Christ here explains to the disciples in just a few sentences the foundation of salvation. Uh, now, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, let me encourage you um, that today is the day of salvation. Uh, and if you are not sure of your salvation, uh, of course, I know this is a Sunday night. And so many of us, if not most of us in here, are saved. I know we have some visitors tonight with our, our Japanese families and everything. So glad you guys are here. Um, but I want to look at this uh, verse 4. And, and this conversation intrigues me because it's actually recorded six different places in the Gospels. There are four Gospels. Um, but this particular conversation in several different ways is recorded six different times. Look at verse 4 with me. The Bible says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus transitions here. He transitions out of salvation and then begins to discuss God's economy of how he sees His children. And the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is not the one who serves best, not the one who is the most capable, but the one who humbles himself as a child. Lord's been working on me about this verse, and and I'm hoping it'll be a help to you tonight. I've been guilty before, and maybe you too, uh, have been guilty of thinking that we grow out of this type of faith. We add to our faith virtue and knowledge and all these things, and before long we're serving throughout the church and doing all of the things that we have to accomplish in a given Sunday, and, and many of you help make Grandview run, and we're so, so thankful for you. The sermon is not to get you to stop doing that. It's okay. We're all right. However, the Bible lays a bottom line. The greatest of these is the one who humbles himself 
as a child. And so tonight, we're going to look at five conditions of childlike faith together. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we love you. And God, as a room full of your children who have come together to celebrate you, you are our Father. We're so thankful for what you did by sending your Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. And Lord, as we meet together tonight, we're so thankful. And now, Lord, as your children, would you help us to understand better this topic of humility? Help us to understand the characteristics of a good child. Lord, we want to be your good children. Lord, we want to be, uh, even as the Bible says here, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Not because we deserve it, but because, Father, you promised it to those who humble themselves and become as little children. So, Father, help us to understand, help us to apply, and we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Five conditions of childlike faith. The first of all um, requires humility. Requires humility. If you're taking notes tonight, your first point is that the first condition of childlike faith is that it requires humility. And by the way, this is the most important condition. Um, God talks about pride, and he is not a fan of pride. God draws near to those who are humble. Uh, You know, a child cannot fully comprehend, and yet somehow knows well their position in relation to a child. Uh, Many of you know my children. I've got Candace, who is three, she, uh, and then Carter, who's one. Carter's favorite thing right now is to say that he's two. If you ask him how old he is, he will say two. He is not two. He still has several months before he turns two. But somehow, his favorite thing right now is to say that he is two. And you'll correct him, and he'll say two. One, two. One, two. And he just, he just, he'll go on forever. He will not say the word one. He does not want to admit that he is only one. Uh, so that's been fun. What's interesting, though, um, I, I remember growing up, my mom uh, would complain about me once in a while that um, I did not respect her as a mother, and uh, there, there was some, some, some turmoil between me and her growing up, and uh, there were some things that she always complained that I had never quite done. And then I had Carter, and I realized it's genetic. Uh, there's just... There's a little bit of angst between mother and son that occurs, and uh, there, there's something that I, there, there's a service that I provide in that relationship to help support the mom, and, and there's some things that we've worked through, and, and he's doing much, much better. But there were a few months there where he just was obstinate, and he did not like the way that mom would, you know, and there, there were just some things. And so we worked through that. He's doing great now, great relationship. Things are good. Um, but it's amazing how, especially for a son, and many of you have children, you know this, There's something about that father-son relationship. Carter was born wanting to please me, and it it was incredible. There were were just some situations where if I spoke a certain way, he just, I mean, just turned around, and it was like, whoa, like, where did that come from? I wasn't expecting him to do it, and yet somehow he just wanted to please me. And uh, I always knew growing up that that was something, like, uh, inherent to me was that I genuinely wanted to please my father, and there was this, you know, this, this desire to, you know, perform and to live up to expectations and all these things that we all deal with as teenagers and things, but especially for Carter, I saw that firsthand even, you know, even before he turned one. There was just this level of desire to just develop that relationship uh, with his father. And likewise, in our relationships with God our Father, we do not even necessarily fully comprehend with what, with what level God speaks and with what authority he meets out his, his judgment and the things that he does. And yet somehow we inherently know that God is greater than us, that God establishes the rules. 
that God is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. And so as Christians, as children of God, we have our Father who comes alongside us and establishes the way that we ought to go. And uh, even if we do not fully comprehend it, we do understand that our Father is in charge. You know what interests me, if you turn over to Luke chapter 9, one of the other examples of this conversation that was had, when Jesus tells them that whosoever uh, shall, the, the, the person who receives children and uh, the, the person who humbles himself shall be the greatest, look at verse 49. Luke chapter 9, verse 49, John answered and said unto them, I'm sorry, let's, let's read verse 48. And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. And he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. But then, but then John answered him. You see that? Same conversation. Sometimes I think we separate these two things out because they seem to be non-sequiturs. They seem like they don't go together. And yet, look at verse 49. John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. You see what John is doing? He's saying, God, hey, just so you know, since we're talking about this topic of who is greatest, I want to tell you about what I did for you. You see what he's doing? He's lifting himself up in pride to say, God, um, I, I really appreciate you bringing that thing up about how, you know, who could be the greatest. And, all, and, and I just want you to know, I went out of my way to do a work for you. Do you see what Jesus answers him? You see what he says? Read it with me, verse 50. He says... And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is against us, he is not against us, is for us. He simply corrects the disciples' thinking. He says, Your position is not to pridefully judge others, but to humbly serve. And so as Christ here is speaking to the disciples who are trying to lift themselves up, they're trying to gain that status, they're trying to gain the position, Jesus is humbly correct, or correcting them to serve humbly. Um, and James chapter 4, verse 6, you're familiar with, he says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And so the first condition of childlike faith is humility. Now, this is the foundation upon which all four of the next, the, the next four points are built. The next four points all boil back down to humility. If you do not have humility, you cannot please God. You must have humility as a foundation for what childlike faith is built upon. Humility, number one, childlike condi- or, uh, condition for childlike faith. The second one tonight is that childlike faith requires freedom from personal agenda. Childlike faith requires freedom from personal agenda. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first... The same shall be last of all and servant of all. You see, we are called to as Christians to be unconcerned about status or personal achievement. As Christians, we ought to have no proclivity for greatness, no desire for greatness, no desire for status. Psalms chapter 131 records David's description of his own humility. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Lord, I don't even look up to heaven in desire of a status above myself. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even 
as a weaned child. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You see, God is concerned with the heart of his children. Um, you know, I, I crossed an important line in parenting these past couple of weeks. Been doing a lot of uh, uh, work in the backyard. And uh, there's this interesting thing that I've noticed. And maybe you parents in the room here figured it out as well. Um, if you are in the process of doing something, okay, you with me? You're, you're doing a job. You are creating something. You are working on something. Ladies, maybe you're making dinner or whatever it is. If you tell your children, go over there and play, where do they go? Like right here. What is up with that? Like, if you tell them, go over there, they're going to be, like, under your feet. Like, every time you turn around, they're, like, attached to you. Okay? If you know any parents in the room have noticed, you tell them to go over there and play, and they just, they're right there. Okay. So, here's what I figured out. If instead of telling them to go play, if you give them a job, they don't do that job, but they avoid you. Okay, so I've, I've figured out parenting. You just tell them to go do something, and they won't do that thing, so don't even expect that. But what they will do is avoid you, okay? Uh, so that's been fun. Uh, of course, I'm joking, but there is some truth to that. Uh, we were uh, working in the backyard. We've got a, a patio area underneath our deck back there, and I've just been working over the past couple of weeks and, and finding time after uh, work or whatever it is to, to come home. And there's a bunch of gravel back there that needed raked out. And there were rocks that were mixed in with the gravel. And those rocks were, you know, hand-sized. And so they were small enough for Candace and Carter to pick up. And so I had given them the job. Okay, here's a pile of rocks. Pick up the rocks. Put them in the bucket. Pretty simple. Find a rock. Put it in the bucket. Okay, Carter has no concept of this job. Okay? He cannot comprehend the scope of this job. It's still far above him. Okay? Carter's going to pick up stuff. He'll pick up the rock, and he'll just grab gravel. He has no idea what he's doing. He'll just throw it. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, the bucket's there. At least put it in the bucket. You know, like, no comprehension. Now, Candace is three. Candace does understand the job. Okay? But as soon as I turn my back, Candace is looking through the rocks, trying to find some to collect, you know, trying to find her favorites. She's searching for insects. She's looking for trees and, you know, little, little grass that she can create. I don't know what she's doing. She's, she's just finding things to collect, and then she creates a stack of it. You know what's interesting? Uh, we had her, her quarterly review. I sat down with her. She's three, I'm, you know, and I told her, like, all these things need to change. No. Now, here's the thing. She's slow. She's ineffective, okay? She, she is not, uh, she's not my best employee, if you will, okay? I have two employees. Well, I guess she is my best employee. All right, okay. I'll eat those words. Carter, Carter has no idea what's going on. We'll see. Hopefully she gets better, okay? I can't fire her. Cindy said I couldn't. Um, but when she spends her time finding flowers and rocks and, you know, she, what is she doing? She's got her own agenda, and what's amazing is that her agenda often creates more work for me. Parents, have you noticed that? They get their own thing, and they're like doing that thing, and before you know it, they've created a mess, they've broke something, they've somehow lost something that was significant and important to whatever job or task that you were doing. It's amazing. Her agenda gets in my way. Christians, let's not kid ourselves. Are we any better? God is accomplishing things. God is working in the world. 
God has established exactly what he wants to accomplish. His kingdom is coming, Christians. God, the Father, his kingdom is coming. Whether we work or not, God's kingdom is coming. And we get busy, focused on ourselves. We're completely inconsequential like Carter. We stand there. We have no idea what we're doing. We're lost in a sea of people serving the Lord, maybe. You find yourself in that category. God, I don't know what to do for you. I can't understand. I cannot comprehend what it is that you would have for me to do. Maybe you're there. Maybe you like Candace. You've, you've labored yourself full of work and jobs and things that you feel like are significant. You think that they hold some sort of weight, and yet somehow, after doing it for quite some time, you realize that God seems to not really care about it. He's, he's not blessing it. He's not, his mighty hand is not being seen through what you're doing. And so as we reflect on these things, and as God's kingdom continues to come, Christians, let's set aside our agendas. Let's set aside those things that so easily beset us. Let's set, set aside those things that would hold us back from doing what it is that we're supposed to do. You see, God gave us a job. Some of us, we don't know what we're doing. Some of us, we've been doing the wrong thing. Others of us were given a task and we've been hiding from it. He told us what to do and we've been avoiding him, thinking maybe he won't find us, maybe he won't notice that we're not doing what he told us to do. And in whatever category you find yourself, Christian, can I encourage you that God has a job for his children. God has called you to the life and love and relationship with Christ with God the Father, and He will equip you and will give you a place to serve if you'll let Him. It requires freedom from personal agenda. First of all, humility. Freedom from personal agenda. Number three, requires deference. Deference. To defer, if you know that word better. This refers to a follower's heart, deferring to the one who is in charge. You know, I think the best biblical example of someone who learned to defer to God is a man named Enoch. Only a couple of verses written about that man. But you know what it says? Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. You think Enoch had to change directions in order to walk with God? Do you think God was just already going along the way that Enoch was? And that somehow Enoch caught him on a good day and God pulled up beside Enoch and started walking the way that Enoch was going? No, no. No, no. God does not swerve for any man. And so God was walking and Enoch came alongside. Christians, you know, if you've had children, if you've ever walked with a child, they'll go the wrong direction so easily. They'll put themselves into trouble. They'll get themselves cornered. They'll get themselves lost. They will fall right into a pit. The smallest of holes messes with their capacity to, to walk around it. They have no idea what they're doing. If you put a puddle in front of them, they will sully themselves. They will dirty themselves. Do you see the imagery? How are we not the same? We are the same. As Christians, God is our Father. And we, we walk alongside Him. 
as good children. We walk alongside him, and God, as a good father, sees the evil, helps us to avoid it. He sees the propensity for problems, and he helps lead us along through them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God is always with us. And as he comforts us, as he brings us direction, it requires, on our part, deference. To defer to where God wants to go. So Christian, you will not have childlike faith if you require God to change his way to come to you. You know, someone who is good at deferring will not often need corrected. You know, if, if Candace and Carter learn now to stay with me, to walk with me, to not lose sight of me, um, and to, to hold my hand when I tell them to do that, they, they won't get corrected very often. You know, a Christian who is good at deferring to what God wants won't need corrected often, but will respond well when correction comes. Hebrews 12, verse 9 says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them, which are exercised thereby. If you're going to have childlike faith, it requires humility. It requires freedom from personal agenda. It requires deference. And number four, it requires obedience. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says, Wherefore, gird up. Or uh, in, in other words, you have to decide to stand up, to, to work, to obey. You've got to do the work on your own to gird up the loins of your mind. It says, be sober. Have this sobriety about life and see life the way that God would have you to see it. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Not fashioning yourself, not building your mind or your life towards the world, but towards godliness, according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. You know, a child's fulfillment comes through their obedience to the Father. A child's fulfillment comes through their obedience to the Father. Candace, my three-year-old, she has no concept of whether or not she's done a good job in any task. She has no context except what I give her. If I praise her when she's done, she thinks, yeah, I did a good job. If I tell her that's not a good job, she knows she didn't do a good job. But I hold the power as the Father to determine what task was completed properly. And so, therefore, obedience is the foundation as Christians for what we do for God. If we are obedient, then we are good children. It's that simple. When you obey, you are a good child. And so, therefore, as we understand more about what it is that God would have us to do, we always come back to the obedience that God provokes us to do. I'll say this, obedience changes the way that you interact with other Christians. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. When you are obedient to God, 
obedience to him will change the way that you interact with the Christians around you. Obedience also brings innocence or holiness. 1 Peter 2, verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Feasting on God's word results in this tearing away of the flesh, tearing away of the work of the flesh, and develops an earnest desire for spiritual growth. And so as we as Christians develop in our need and our desire for God's word, what we will experience is, as more obedience comes in, as a result of knowing God's word, we'll experience the tearing away of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20 says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit uh, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. And so it's a, a, this explanation of uh, truth and how in some areas of our life we need maturity. In other areas we need this childlike faith requires obedience. Lastly tonight, it requires total dependency. You know, we often remember that for salvation. But if you're anything like me, I'm guilty of forgetting it for the normal day-to-day life. We are totally dependent on God. Christians, we are totally dependent on God. Everything that we have is what God gave us. Everything that we do is what he assigned us to do. Everything that is accomplished in our life is only accomplished by the gifts and talents that God has given us. And as we reflect on our capacity, Christians, we have to understand we have no capacity. Sometimes we, we get this misunderstanding and believe that God operates as a God who is like a boss. To you at work, your boss needs you to show up on time, to perform, to uh, live up to certain expectations. Your performance needs to be at a certain level. You need to be learning new skills at a certain rate or else consequence. But to a son, the love that comes into that relationship is regardless of what they bring to the table. The first time I held Carter, standing in the hospital, holding him, he's an hour old, and I'm looking into his eyes. It didn't matter what he was capable of. It did not matter how in, you know, 60 years he might need to support me, and I'm already, no, 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 no. Now, that's all important. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) What mattered in this moment, I have a son, and I love him. He will do nothing for me for many years. There's nothing that Carter at one years old can do for me except create me problems, right? We understand. Hey, don't, don't pretend that you, you're older in God's economy, okay? To a God as great as our God, are any of us much older? God is not your boss. What you bring to the table does not add more value to you. You are valuable as a child of God. As a child of God, you have value. Do you remember what the prodigal son said when he came back home? Oh man, he he came to himself, the Bible says. He came to himself in the pig pen. 
He's with the worst of the worst. He's fallen as low as a Jewish young man can, can fall. He's out of money. He's out into a foreign country. He's with animals that Jewish custom would say were the filthiest of the filthy. And he's standing there trying to eat of the food that the pigs are eating. And he comes to himself. And he says, don't my dad's servants eat better than this? Shouldn't I go to my father? Shouldn't I turn from my wicked way? And shouldn't I go and find my father and say, Father, I've forsaken all. I, I, I've done everything wrong. I, I've, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against the family. I've sinned against my inheritance. I've sinned against everything. Would you just, could I just work for you? Because the, where I'm working is not a good place. Can I just come back to serve you? Can I, can I just be brought in as like an entry-level employee? Can I earn my way back into a position? Can I just stay on your property? And what does the father do? Son, you've come home. And it's incredible that a God, who so many of us, by testimony we could probably share, how we've turned away from God. We've followed our own path. We've sought our own way. We've accomplished our own things. We've got stuck in our own agendas. We've avoided what God has called us to. And yet he welcomes us. His arms open. Child, welcome home. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. God's love for us is always conditional. His ex- unconditional, rather. His acceptance of us is always without reservation. And his approval for us is wholly tied to our adoption, not to what we bring to the table. How many of you tonight would say, you know, I haven't been a very good son or daughter. Maybe like the prodigal son. You took everything that God gave you and you ran from him. You avoided his eye, hoping that maybe he wouldn't notice you. You've come up with your own busy work to try to avoid what it is that he has called you to. How many of you tonight would say, humility, personal agenda, deferring to what God wants for me, obedience, and dependency? One of those five areas God's spoken to my heart. Would you raise your hand and, and just witness that to the Lord? I see those hands. Thank you. As I pray, can I encourage you to step out in faith and in humility? Come to the altar and commit to putting your trust in God, setting aside your personal agendas, and taking on the yoke that God has for you. If you're willing to do that tonight, would you step out now as I pray, Father? Father? We come before your throne, Lord, none of us worthy. And yet you loved us with an everlasting love. Father, you sent your only begotten Son to die on a cross for our sins. And Lord, that love, that same love, is the love that you have towards us. Even in our sin, Christ died for us. So, Father, tonight, as we reflect on the areas of our life that have hindered you, as we reflect on the attitudes that have kept us from you, Lord, would you come in tonight? Would you open the door of our heart? Would you work? 
as the piano begins to play. Let you do business here at the altar. children, we come before your throne. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in our heart tonight. Thank you for the reminder of childlike faith. Lord, would you help us this week to set aside those things that lift us up in pride, our own accomplishments, our own capacities? Would you help us remember what you've given us, and that everything we have is a great and perfect gift from you? Lord, when situations arise where we choose not to be obedient, would you help us remind us of your word? Lord, help us to defer to you. Help us to ever be intent on following you. God, would you direct us and guide us? We can be so stubborn-headed. But we're thankful, Lord, for the work that you do, for your patience, your long-suffering. God, do a work in us, and we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, We're going to go ahead and watch the next video, and then we will be dismissed. The next Starting Point class will be next Sunday, October 8th. Starting Point is an opportunity for you to explore membership at Grandview, to find out more about growing in your relationship with Christ, and getting connected and plugged in, and to ask any questions that you might have. Enjoy a delicious meal while learning how to take the next step in your journey of faith here at Grandview. Child care is provided. If you would like to be a part of this class, please sign up at the welcome desk. Churchwide Outreach will meet Saturday, October 7th at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you'll receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Okay, thank you, Brother Cameron. What a blessing that was. And I hope you have just a great week. I do want to say one last thing about that bus we pelted with apples. If I could have a dollar for every person that came up and asked me why we are mutilating a good bus, I, uh, <laughs> I would be rich tonight. Uh, keep in mind, this bus was on its way to the junkyard, and we held it off a week longer. 
And so it got pulled on there by trucks and it'll be pulled off by trucks. We have used about every good part on it, okay? So we are not just in the process of destroying church property, okay? And I just thought I'd clear the air, okay? And several people have wondered about that. Uh, but that bus is, is going to a better place to retire, okay? And so God bless you all. You are dismissed. Thank you.